right, good morning again. It is, each and every time I come up, it's good to see you. I don't care if it's once, twice, four times during the service. It's always good and special. Well, hey, let me ask you a question. Uh, how many households here are in the midst of that uh, post-Halloween high fructose corn syrup detox uh, happening in the house right now? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I got a few, right? Um, hey, on a side note, any, are any of you um, full candy bar kind of houses? Any, anybody here? Uh, a couple? Okay. All right, we'll get your address later. All right, I just... Personal has nothing to do with the service today or the message, I promise you that. I, uh, just some little research I'm doing right now. Well, we're going to jump in this morning. We're uh, continuing in our walk uh, through the New Testament together. We're calling it our journey through the New Testament. And we find ourselves, hey, you know, before I get there, I've hit it every week. And then here we are, week up. Tuesday is Election Tuesday, right? Uh, y'all know that. If you didn't early vote, it's too late. You're ready to jump in line. Uh, but be willing to do so Tuesday, right? Please, uh, folks, we have a privilege uh, to vote in our country. Exercise that privilege. Uh, Exercise what men and women have fought for for this precious nation. And when you exercise that privilege to vote, exercise uh, your Christian worldview as you vote as well. But please don't forget that. Well, in our study, we find ourselves week 45, uh, and that means that, in fact, I believe Monday will be your uh, last reading in 1 Peter, and then you'll spend the rest of the week in 2 Peter, and that's where I'm going to be today focusing. As I've always mentioned, the bookmarks are in the seatbacks in front of you, so you can follow along with our reading plan, and also on our church website, and the easiest way is through the church app. Uh, each day's reading is there. Also on our church app, under sermon notes, you can have listed for you all the passages that I'm going to cover today and, and areas for notes as well and, and also a link to uh, Soldier Child that I mentioned earlier but would encourage you to do that. But I'm going to be in Second Peter Day and most of your week's reading will be there also and just give you a little bit of information about Second Peter. Uh, just like First Peter, right, it was written by the Apostle Peter who, who walked with Christ and, and, and who served with Christ and who, who preached uh, at Pentecost and thousands being saved. Uh, we, we talked so much about all that who, who was also martyred for his faith in a horrific way for Christ that we looked at last week. Uh, but what you need to understand is Second Peter was actually written several years following First Peter. And, and one of the things that had transpired, though he was still in Rome, he wrote uh, from Rome both First and Second Peter, but when he wrote Second Peter, he had been given special knowledge that his life was soon to come to an end. Uh, he knew that he was about to be martyred, and so Second Peter really kind of stands as Peter's farewell letter. The, the final letter we have recorded, some of his uh, uh, the, the final statements and words that he would share to, to those who were dispersed and even to us today. In fact, in his opening in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, he says this, I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent. Remember how Paul referred to this as a tent? Why? Because it's temporary. We're only here for a short time here. Uh, Peter follows that as well. To wake you up with this reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, Jesus gave him some kind of special revelation that, that he would soon be martyred. Verse 15, and I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Now, here he is. Man, if you've not jumped in on our reading plan, I want to encourage you even now jump in because Second Peter is so powerful. 
Here you had this man who walked with God, who, who gave his life in a, in a horrific way to be martyred for Christ. And what he's saying is, God, Jesus has told me that my life is coming to an end. And here are my final thoughts. You know, many people in this world don't get that opportunity to share final farewells or, or, or words of encouragement, words of direction. And yet, Peter was given that blessing. And what we have in 2 Peter was Peter saying, okay, what is most important? What can I get in? In those three little chapters, that's what we find, Peter's final words. And in doing so, he really hits two things. First of all, he speaks uh, about a challenge to his readers, a challenge to those who were dispersed and, and to us today. And his challenge was this, never stop growing. Never stop growing in your faith. Never stop growing in your love for the Lord and for one another. And never stop growing in your service to God. And you're going to see that theme kind of repeated throughout the, the three chapters of 2 Peter. But he began with that, that challenge, never stop growing. Christians, can I tell you something? That, that, those words are so powerful. Never think you've arrived, <laughs> that you're there. You know, hey, hey, I, I came to know the Lord. I checked that box. I got baptized. I checked that box. I came to church for a while. Check that box. I tied. Check that box. We're never there. Look at Peter who, who lived with Jesus, who experienced firsthand the things of God, and yet he said, I never want to stop growing, and that's my greatest appeal to you who are left, never stop. Never stop growing. Uh, John Maxwell, early on in my ministry, he came out with the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I'm sure many of you read that uh, series and books as well. And, and one of those laws in there was called, I'll never forget, the law of the lid. And the law of the lid says this, in leadership, you have a lid. Right? This, is, this is where you are, right? And you have to decide, am I just going to stay there? And, and if I do, as a leader, that means anyone under me can't rise above my lid. So not only is it a lid on me, but it's also a lid to, to everyone who follows me. Or will I make that commitment to raise the lid and to continue to grow? And that's what Peter said. Hey, keep raising that lid. I've been in ministry now, I think, over 23 years. Um, I've lived over 50. And you know what I know about the Lord? As many times as I've taught classes, uh, preached sermons or funerals or weddings or, or all these different things, been in counseling with, with all my uh, who knows how many hours of devotional time and study, and yet every time I learn something new. Every time I, I grow in my knowledge of the Lord, and every time I fall just a little more in love with Jesus. I really do. I mean, I, he said, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to say that. No, I mean it. <laughs> And I used to not be a preacher, right? I, I came to the game a little bit later, right? And I've been through some, some stuff in life and some, some hard times. And even in those times, the more I know of God, the more precious he becomes. The more in love I fall with him. I don't understand all things in this world. Friends, let's be honest, I don't understand most things in this world. But I trust in him. And I know he loves me. And I love him. And that's what Peter's saying. Keep on growing. Hey, whatever profession you're in today, isn't that the key to success? Keep growing? I mean, whatever you're doing. Hey, the worst teacher in the world is the one that said, well, I got my degree. I'm good. No, I want that teacher that, that they're growing so, so I can grow and learn. Right? I mean, wherever, whatever you are. In marriage, man, when we say I do and we place a ring on the finger, we don't know how to. Right? Any, any married people here? Is it not a growing endeavor? You still learning? Anybody married 50 years here or more? Raise your hand. 
Hey, amen, right? Are you still learning? Are you still growing? Now, answer honestly. Do you love each other more now than you ever did before? If that's true with you following people right there, how much more so in our walk with the Lord? And that's why he's giving that challenge. Don't ever stop. Because the more you know about God, the more you'll love him. And the more you'll come to understand his plan for your life. But, but secondly, he, he gives a warning also. He gives that challenge to keep going, but he gives a warning. And the warning is this, to be on guard against corrupt teachers and theology that were becoming prevalent in that day. And I think we would agree today too. In Peter's days, and what you're going to see revealed through the three chapters in Second Peter, is that there were actually sinful preachers that were addicted to sex and money, right? And were making a career out of that while simultaneously preaching about God. And so Peter says, listen, I, I want to challenge you, never stop growing, and then I want to give you this warning, be careful who you listen to. And here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you know, as you grow more and as you continue to, to learn more about God, you're going to be able to have a greater filter for God. You, you know, we use that term filter a lot. And man, all the time, anybody shop on Amazon, right? And one of the, you click that filter up there, right? You say, I want to, I want to turn on the filter, I want Prime only because I ain't paying for shipping, right? Uh, and then I want this price range, and, and I want five stars or four stars and up, right, whatever it is, and, and, and I want this color. And by the time you click all your little filters, you go from thousands of that item, thousands of options, to a handful, right, depending on, on what it is, sometimes a hundred still, right? But, but you turn on that filter. You do that filter to, to filter out the stuff you don't have an interest in, Right? Uh, we, we turn on filters on our, on our phones and our computers and our TVs. Why? Because we want to filter out trash that, that, that will work its way in. Uh, well, pornography or language or, man, we, we, we can turn on filters to, to filter that stuff out. Why? Because we don't want that. Well, Peter says, hey, turn on your filter when it comes to these preachers and teachers. And by the way, the more we grow with him, the, the easier it is to understand that filter. Be careful then who you listen to. You know, that's true for today also. It's unbelievable some of the, the things that, that, that ministries, men and women will teach, and yet maybe they'll give a nod to God's Word. Maybe they'll, they'll open His Word. Maybe they'll suggest a passage, and then the rest of the time just tell stories and try to make you feel good about yourself. And Peter says, you, you better be on guard, and you better have that filter, right? Because it's no man's role but, but God's holy Word. Second Peter, he, for chapter 1 and verse 16, then he follows that. He says, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we were made known to you, the power, or when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, Hey, listen, I want you to know something. When I'm telling you these things, we were there. I love that about the power of the gospel. There were still eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, eyewitnesses to the, to the miracles of Jesus Christ, eyewitnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and friends, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter says this, and I want you to know, I've seen it all, and what I'm telling you is absolute truth. 
Now, with that background and understanding what this letter is, this final, final farewell, who's writing it? Peter, one of the, the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. I want us to jump in, and we're in the past, I know I've been covering a lot of ground. Right, like it's drinking from a fire hose, and I get that, right? In your reading plan, I get to preach like one or two entire messages from a whole book of Scripture, right? Uh, and I'm, try, I'm trying to cover a lot, and sometimes I think I err on trying to cover too much, and I get that. Maybe last week in this service was one of those great examples, right? But today, and nobody's saying, oh, no, preacher, go on, right? Not, not a, just, uh, I get some nods. Today, what I want to do is I, I want to focus just really on two verses, and it's found in 2 Peter Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. As you're turning or opening that this morning, Peter writes this, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years, like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, I'm going to focus on those two verses this morning. And the first thing I want to say as you look at verse 8 is, understand this, verse 8 is not a foundation, right, on which to build an argument for Christian evolution. It is not. Uh, people will, will take that verse and say, oh, days like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Man, uh, God could have just made those little amoebas and then over thousands and thousands and millions of years, and, and that was like a day in creation. I don't ascribe to that at all. In fact, I think it borders heresy to do so. But I'm going to dive into that in January, and you'll, you'll get my, my full belief in it as we look to the, to the book of Genesis. But what you have to understand is who was Peter's audience? Remember, who was he writing to? What was he saying to them? It can't mean today what it didn't mean then. And when we understand what he was saying to that audience, then we can understand what God is revealing to us through that today. Well, the false teachers that he was warning them against were using the fact that Jesus had not yet come kind of as fodder for them to preach messages that caused people to question if Jesus would return at all. Uh, they were going out and saying, okay, you've heard from all these people. He's coming again. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Where is he? Where, where, where they keep saying he's coming soon. Where is he? And so they built a ministry on making people doubt the claims of the apostle and the early church by saying that he's coming again and made them question whether Jesus would come at all. So in refute to that then, Peter reminds his readers and us today that time to God is far different than it is to us. Time with God and time to man are two totally different things. In fact, as you read through the Bible, and you've seen that repeatedly as we've uh, walked through the New Testament together, often you'll see that terminology in due time, right? Things are coming in due time. We, we see it throughout the Bible. What does that mean? A time you do not know. That's it. That's all that means. We don't know when that time is. We, we don't know when Christ is going to return, right? But God has a total different perspective of time. I remember for me uh, the... One of the first mission trips I ever went on, it may have been the first, we found ourselves uh, uh, in, in Europe, and I remember we were kind of in, in one of the big cities there, I remember it was Budapest, I was, I'm not sure where we were, uh, but we were traveling around, we, we were doing some, some historical uh, you, you know, tours and things like that also as part of the trip, and, and I remember being at this place, and there's all these huge monuments and statues, and where we were, I began to look at the the names of these czars and emperors. And, all. and I began to, to look at the dates. 
And, you know, here in America, if we got a monument up, it's maybe a couple hundred years old. Right? I mean, 1776, we, we just don't go back that far, right? Uh, so most of our history is, is still close. And you go over there, and I'm looking at these, and it's like 92 A.D., <laughs> Right? Like it's going back B.C. There, there are thousands of years. And I, I remember that just striking me of how young our country was. When, when, I, when I traveled overseas and, and saw the, 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 the depth of, of the history going back millennia overseas. But I remember that just being struck with it, with, it, with that perspective of how they view history so differently than, than we do in America today. And I believe that's what Peter's trying to say. Listen, it's not the same to God. Right? We think within that finite time frame as humans. Right? We, do. we know beginnings. We know ends. Right? And so we have kind of this, this finite framework. But God is outside of time. And God is infinite. God does not answer to time. God is time. Peter here in this passage, it's interesting when he talks about a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day to God. He's actually quoting Psalm 90. Now, do you know who wrote Psalm 90? Moses. Moses, some 1,400 years before Peter was ever born. And now here Peter is quoting him, and here's what Psalm 90 says. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust saying, Return, descendants of Abraham. Verse 4, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night. It's interesting to me, Peter's actually quoting someone 14 years, uh, 1,400 years prior, and Moses was saying how God is beyond time, Right? He's saying, so, so, so listen, church, before you begin to doubt, is Jesus really coming? Because we keep saying it's near. Understand that God doesn't answer to our time. See, here's the thing. God is not concerned with time. He's beyond that. God's concerned with timing. You hear me? He's not concerned with time. He's beyond time. But he is concerned with timing. Look at verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay. But what, church? is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He, he says a couple of things here. First of all, what do we see? God delays with reason. And the first thing we see in God's delay is we see the patience of God. Aren't you thankful for God's patience? Church, all right, hey, I'm glad he didn't come back when I was 15. Any other takers? Hey, I, I'm thankful for the patience of God, right? In Peter's audience, in essence, that's what's Peter. Hey, you better be thankful he hasn't come back yet. Following these people who, who are disclaiming Christ altogether, you're, you're, you're following them and you want him to come back? You better hope he doesn't. You may be here today. And friends, if you've not yet come to that place to trust Jesus alone as your Savior, you better hope he delays another day. Come back, Lord. Are you ready? See, the delay is, is not because God doesn't love us. The delay is because He does love us. He loves us so much, He's willing to wait. And can I tell you something? He's got a mission for the church. What's our mission? To go and win another. 
He's delaying for us, for our mission. So we'll be the church that he's called us to be. So we'll go out into our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, and invite people to come in, usher them into the kingdom, share the good news of Jesus Christ. He's delaying for us and for the work of the church. He's delaying his judgment on man. Can you imagine his perspective? We talk about, I know sometimes I get there too. Like, I'm thinking, man, I, I kind of like that old country preacher that said, if, 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 if Jesus doesn't return soon, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Y'all, y'all heard that, right? Because as bad as things are today, right? Uh, we, we, the world probably needs his judgment. So, so sometimes I'll end there too. But imagine God's perspective. I, I mean, think about him throughout the millennia. I mean, he saw what man did to his son on the cross and yet waited for the sake of the gospel. He, gee, God looks down in disappointment. He, he sees man walking away from his beautiful design of creation, of gender, of marriage. He's, he sees how distorted that's becoming today and yet he waits. In, in disappointment, he sees the, the divide of man based on the color of their skin based on the amount of wealth that they think they have, and yet he waits. He watched the atrocity, the atrocity of the Holocaust. He looks down and sees every vicious war on the world today, and yet he waits. He sees every violent crime that happens all around the world, and he waits. He sees innocent lives being abused, trafficked, murdered, and yet he waits. Why? Why would God wait? Seeing all this, why would he wait? Friends, his patience is not an indication of carelessness for the innocents, nor does it suggest his non-existence, as some believe and did in, in, in Peter's day. His patience is confirmation of his love for us and his love for the lost. That's why he waits. As fallen as man is, as disobedient as man is, as wicked as man's heart is. And friends, I don't have to convince you of that one. Just look around. We are a fallen world, and yet as fallen as we are, as disobedient as we are, our God is merciful, patient, and long-suffering. For us, for you. Notice what Peter says. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Friends, God is a God of the any and all. He doesn't want anyone to perish, and he wants everyone to come to repentance. He, he, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and everyone who does is saved. God is a God of any and all. Man, there's a song. I, man, I love this song. He's an on-time God. Y'all know it? We've done it here a couple times. I, I about had Terry re redo it again today, but I was just too late coming to the game, right? Um, he's an on-time God. You may not know when I wish I could sing it. It, it. Oh, I want to so bad, but I would butcher it, right? It's a cool gospel song, and it is deep-rooted. You may not know when you need him, but he's an on-time God. He's not concerned with time. He, he's concerned with timing. Well, second thing we see in God's delay, we see his purpose. We see his purpose. 
what is his purpose? Repentance. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but what? He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come, what church? To repentance. That's his desire, that everyone would repent. Paul said it this way in Romans 2, 4, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? He waits in the hope that you would repent. Repentance is so powerful. In my study to this past week, I was looking at repentance and all the different definitions and theology, everything that's out there. I came across a story of an elderly lady. She had been to her church for Wednesday night Bible study, and just so happened they were studying in the book of Acts, and she got home really late at night, and when she came home, she quietly opened her front door, and to her surprise, there was an intruder in the house, a man that was not supposed to be there. She opened the door and just didn't know what to do. He had her, his back still to the woman, and coming out of her Bible study, the first thing she thought of, she yelled out, Stop! Acts 2.38! Which is, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, hearing this, Acts 2.38, the, the intruder dropped what he had in his hands, raised his hands, and stood perfectly still. This elderly woman quietly opened up her purse, got out her phone, called 911, told the police what had, taken, what had happened, and waited that intruder the whole time. Back to the woman, hands up, I mean still as a statue, not budging. The police come, they, they come in her house, they, they handcuff him, they're putting him in the car, and, and one of the officers says, man, I... I've got to ask you. He said, well, why did you stand so still when she yelled that scripture verse out? He said, scripture? I thought she said she had an ax and two thirty eights. I don't think that's a definition of repentance. Um, and I nor would I even try to go there. But there's power <laughs> in repentance, Amen. I think sometimes we misinterpret what repentance is. Repentance, it's more than just remorse. You know, remorse is when we say we're, we're sorry for our sins. We, we feel bad about that. But repentance is far more than that. You remember the rich young ruler? He went away, the Bible says, sad, sorry. He, he was remorseful for what he did, but he didn't repent. And he said, how can I be saved? Jesus said, keep all the commands. Oh, I do that, liar, right? He broke, the, broke, the, broke that one right off the bat, right? And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He knew he was rich. Sell everything you got. And it says that the rich young ruler dropped his head and walked away sad. In the presence of Christ, wanting to know how to be saved and yet not willing to go all in. He, he was remorseful, but didn't repent. It's more than just regret, you can regret without even having remorse, let alone repentance. Pilate regretted what he did, did he not? He said, I, I find no guilt. This man's innocent, talking about Jesus. And you remember what he did? He went out and washed his hands and said, I, I'm done. He regretted what he did, but, but he didn't repent. It's more than even restitution. Repentance is more than restitution. Jews, Judas he made restitution. 
Do you remember that? He took the 30 silver coins and threw them back to the Pharisees. He, he made restitution. But repentance is this, this idea of a change of mind, of will, and of action. The Bible talks about your heart, soul, and your strength. Changing what we, what we think, how we feel, but also what we do and how we act. That's what repentance is. In Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is known as the Shema. It's taken from the first word there in Hebrew for hear, Shema. And it's something that even still today, Jewish people will recite this morning and night. Jesus, you may recall, he recited this when he was asked what the greatest commandment was in, in Mark 12 and verse 30. You remember that? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He went on, he said, the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, this command, this idea of loving God with heart, soul, and strength, what we think, how we feel, and even what we do, it's impossible alone, and it can only be done with a relationship with Christ. But when you repent, you're cleansed from your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is our strength. See, the thing about repentance is this. You can't be saved without being repentant. Right? You, you have to acknowledge the sins of your life. You have to acknowledge that Christ died for your sins, and you have to receive him as Savior. You can't be saved without repentance. But friends, can I tell you something else? Neither can a saved person live non-repentant. You can't say, hey, I made that decision. I checked that box. I'm good. I'm going to live however I want now. Friends, that don't work like that. Salvation is not just a box you check. It's a lifestyle, and it is an ongoing relationship with Christ. Paul addressed that in Romans 6.1. He said, what then? So we get saved and we just live however we want? Absolutely not. And so what we see in repentance, it's really two sides of the same coin. You have to repent to be saved. And as a believer, we live in repentance, right? There's repentance that leads to salvation. That's acknowledging that sin. But then there's also the repentance that follows it. And that's staying in walk with the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Peter addressed it in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. He said, his divine power, talking about what God gives every believer, has given us everything required for life and for godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and by his goodness. That, that word for everything that he uses there, it's the same Greek word that's used, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament when it talks about the flood and how God flood, flooded the world during Noah and everything was destroyed. Well, what Peter's saying is God gives you everything you need. When we repent and when we trust him, we have everything we need in life and for life to live a repentant life. You look at, look at people in the New Testament who had that picture of repentance in their life. I couldn't help but think of, of Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, the, the crooked tax collector, was stealing from everybody, like tax collectors do today, right? Uh, but, but he got saved. He met Jesus. The little man climbed up that tree. Jesus saw him. He climbed on down that sycamore tree, right? We, y'all know all the stuff, right? And when he came down... He, what did he want to do? He wanted to invite Jesus into his, his house, into his life. 
He, he, he changed what he, he thought about Jesus. He changed what he, he thought about how he felt about his actions. And so he even made restitution. It said he gave back four times everything he had stolen from anyone he had stolen from. Well, that's repentance. What about Paul, who was going out killing Christians, hated the church, hated Jesus, and yet encountered Christ, repented of his past sins, and then what church became a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He changed his thoughts that led to a change in his actions. Onesimus, we looked at a few weeks ago. He, he, he's, a, he's a thief, stole from his master, goes, meets Paul, gets saved while, while Paul's in prison. And what does he do? He goes back. Onesimus goes back to Philemon to repent for what he had done, to, to be restored. It, it, it's a complete change. But I think perhaps the, the best example in the entire Bible has to be the, the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the story? The, the son asked his dad for his inheritance early. He said, Dad, I, in essence saying, I don't love you. I love your stuff. I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. The father gave it to him. The, the boy goes away, parties it up, and, and in no time he, he's broke. He's so destitute, he's literally, his job is to slop the hogs and he's living with them. He's so hungry, he looks at the slop he's feeding them and, and says he wished he could eat it. And it's in that muck, in that mire of his life that he remembers his father, who by the way is a picture of Jesus Christ and the goodness that he has and how good he is even to his servants. And he comes to his senses. He, he changes his, uh, his heart about the, the stuff of this world. He, he repents. He goes back to his father. And his father's there with, with open arms to greet his son when he returns. Friends, that, that's repentance. Have you repented of your sins? Or are you a believer that's here today and you know there's sin in your life down that you need to repent of? Jesus had gone to the house of Levi. And there was a huge party there. and The Pharisees were gathered and they started questioning, well, why is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Do you remember the story? In Luke 5, Jesus responded in this way, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. He said, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' mission, God's delay, is so that you would repent of sin. Where are you today? Have you done that as a believer? Have you confessed the sins that you have? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if you have and you're here today as a believer, is there sin in your life that's got a hold, it's got a grip on your spirit right now? And you need to let go and let God to repent from where you are, to change the way that you look at that sin, the way that you gravitate to that temptation and change your ways to Christ. I'm going to close with this because i got a couple minutes. Peter closed out his letter, chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. But the day of the Lord, Lord, it will come like a thief in the night. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The, the elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Verse 11, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy contact, conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten, desiring for its coming. 
Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Verse 14, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all of his letters. There are some things that are hard to understand in them. Even Peter didn't understand all of Paul's writings. He said, I don't understand them all either, right? Don't let, hey, don't, let, don't give up on, the, on, the, on, on reading the Bible when you say, well, I don't understand that. Peter didn't understand some of it. Amen, you, you got good company. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures, also acknowledging that Paul's letters were part of scripture as well. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led astray by the errors of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. How long will God delay? I don't know. But he delayed today. Maybe for you. Maybe you need to repent. Trusting a Savior or walking away from the temptations of sin of this world. All I know is God delayed today. What will you do with today? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your patience with us, your long-suffering for us. God, your absolute love and devotion to us. God, if there's anyone here today wrestling with that decision to repent, to trust Christ as Savior, I, I pray that you would give them the courage to step out in faith, to be found saved. Father, for those who are here today who are believers but struggling with sin and temptation, that this would be the time that they repent, not just feeling bad about it, not just making amends for it, but a complete turnaround in trusting you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.